This is episode 45 of Off Script with Trish Glose, intimate interviews with interesting people. In front of my microphone today is Cassandra Bliss. I should actually say Dr. Cassandra Bliss, right? You worked hard for that title. That's correct, I did. <laughs> okay, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Okay, I'm super excited. I met you at uh, Wildlife Images fundraising event in Ashland. Yes. And I was like, gosh, she looks super familiar. And then I introduced myself and I was like, oh yeah, you're the doctor who does all of the cool eyeball stuff. I am. I do a lot of cool eyeball stuff. Okay, we're going to talk a lot about eyeballs because awesome. you completely educated me that night on animal eyeballs. Oh, fantastic. Because human eyeballs, you said, are super boring. It's super boring. Super easy. My apologies to all the MD ophthalmologists out yeah, there. But y'all are boring. Okay, just kidding. All right, so I like to start out all of my fun conversations with where are you from originally? So I was born in Portland, raised in Grants Pass. So I am hometown girl here. You are Oregonian through and through. Through and through. Okay, born in Portland. Um, do you did you grow up with siblings? I do. Yes, I did. I actually have an identical twin sister. No way. Yeah, she's fantastic. She used to fly for Horizon. She's now in management. But it's funny all the time people will see her on flights or vice versa. They will see me flying. Mm -hmm. So it's it's always kind of fun. I enjoy it more than my sister. My sister doesn't tell anyone. I tell everyone. Did you know I'm a twin? No way. Yeah. What's your sister's name? Mandy. Mandy. Okay. Um, did you guys get in a lot of trouble growing up? No, we were great. Yeah, right. <laughs> we were perfect. What a lie. What a lie. We had great parents that were very strict, and we were very good awesome. all the time. Um, and is that a twin sister? That's it? I or? have an older sister. Yeah. Okay. Yep, older sister, who's a, a little bit more, her, her name is Starlight. She's, yeah, she's very different. She mm -hmm. lives uh, in Boca, which is an island down mm -hmm. in South America, but yeah. Wow, she lives in yeah. South America. Mm -hmm. So a house full of girls. Yes. All in Portland. Yeah. yeah. So what was, what was the... Um, uh, was there any significance behind the name Starlight for your parents? Uh, maybe they're hippies. <laughs> Are they hippies? I would say so. Okay. <laughs> Especially then, but who knows? Right. It was a long time ago. Right, for sure. Um, because you have Starlight and then you have Mandy and Cassandra. Yes. And it's actually Amanda, Cassandra, Cassie, Mandy. I grew up as Cassie. I was going to ask you yeah. if you're a Cassie. Yeah. Everybody yeah. calls you Cassie? My Growing up, everyone called me Cassie. And then okay. one day I said, well, I think I need to be more mature. So people are going to call me Cassandra. Oh, man. That's yeah. funny. That's when I was, <laughs> I'm a Trisha. So T-R-I-S-H-A. My whole, everybody, I'm from South Carolina. So it's always been Trisha, Trisha. And then when I got this job, I'm like, I'm going to change it to Trish. Yeah. <laughs> why? I don't like, know. Yeah, it's why? It's so silly. Yeah. But yeah, we think like. I don't know. It's more professional, I guess. Yeah, sure. Okay. So I had a twin on here earlier in an earlier podcast interview, and I asked him, like, any crazy things that, like, the twin things that... I, I definitely think there are twin okay. things. There are... Th and they're probably unexplainable, realistically. I don't know if he was identical or fraternal. But identical. Yeah. So I think there is something I we definitely had or have and still have kind of our own language. We can start a conversation, not have to finish it because we have already know the ending, and move on to the next. So we kind of have that. And I would definitely say my parents saw us communicate in ways that they didn't understand. So, yeah. Because mm. he was saying he could be humming a song in his head, not out loud. Mm. And then his twin would start humming that same wow. song picking up where he's like left yeah. off. Yeah. That blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's it, I, I think the twin thing is weird. The, on top of that, we're mirror image, which means that basically uh, the simple way is I'm right-handed, she's left-handed. So our brains developed like basically our egg. We, we were one egg, so instead of two, right? Mm -hmm. So we split just before really becoming Siamese twins, right? So we'd already developed our right-handed and left-handedness left brain, right brain, that so, kind of thing. So we're actually extremely polar opposites in a lot of ways. Like we, I, I, we love each other, but, mm -hmm. but we, we don't really love each other. We, you know, we're very different in how we look at things and how we feel about things and our, yeah. our career paths and everything. So we're very polar opposites in a lot of ways. That's super cool. Yeah. But obviously you guys are, I mean, you have an instant friend all the time. All the time. Yes. Was there anything that annoyed you about being a twin? I don't know. I've never not been one. <laughs> Good answer. Um, so you grew up in Portland. How no, not really. Oh, we grew up right. here. Moving, yeah, moved yeah, to yeah, Grants yeah. Pass. So yep. when did you? I remember, yeah, all Grants Pass. I don't remember Portland at all. I okay. born there, came home. How old were you when you moved to Grants Pass? I have no idea. You don't know. Yeah, so you're little. Two, yeah. Okay. Young. Yeah. So growing up in Grants Pass, what decade are we talking? Sorry. So, <laughs> so I was born in '83. Okay. So we were down here in in the '80s, okay. and '90s until I left. And yeah. so it's it was really I mean it's I still consider Southern Oregon fairly a, a mix mash of like smallish towns. Very small, yeah. But even then, it was probably a lot smaller. Yes. Okay. Yes. So grew up doing what? What did you guys do in Grants Pass? 
So again, we were we were good children. We went to school. Yeah, sure. <laughs> we went right. to school. We I'm were good. Buying, I'm not buying any. <laughs> we of were. This. I'm totally. My uh, my whole life has been very much. I I never thought about anything else except being a veterinarian. So everything that I remember growing up was about animals or around animals or mm-hmm. trying to get my parents to give me animals or. Did you have so. animals growing up? We did. We always had a dog. I remember our first dog, Roxy, was a black German Shepherd. She's fantastic. Mm, Roxy. Yeah. And then I remember my first pony was named Sugar. She bucked me off so many times. I can't remember. You had a pony. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you said you always wanted to be a vet. Mm-hmm. I remember literally sitting with my sister and stuffed animals in my grandma's old perfume bottles and pretending like that was medicine and we were treating no our way. stuffed animals. Yeah, so I literally don't remember wanting to be anything but a veterinarian. And did you ever feel like later, because I think sometimes when you are so dedicated to something, did you ever feel like you were getting burned out at any point? So I think burnout in veterinary medicine is a, a real thing. For me, though, I think... I wavered one time, and it was I was actually bit in the face by a dog. <gasps> yeah, and it was a really severe bite. Like I, I literally thought my face was never going to be the same. I don't now. I don't feel like I look like my sister because of it. Like it was a significant bite to my face. Wow. And I wavered just a little bit. Like wow, do I really want to do this? And I was able to connect with a veterinarian who was actually an ophthalmologist. And and at that point, I wanted to be an eye doctor. And to to examine eyes, you're you're this close, right? Nose to nose with that animal. Mm-hmm. And so he gave me a lot of inspiration and passion about ophthalmology because of how he was with animals. Yeah. He's like, you turn the lights down, you uh, approach them in a way, lights are somewhat mesmerizing. And so he really kind of very soon after my injury to my face was able to kind of hold my hand through that. So that was the only time I wavered. Otherwise, I've never wanted to be anything. I'm passionate about veterinary medicine, yeah. always been passionate about it. That's a dog bite. Um, I think that's an interesting topic because we hear a lot in the news about, you know, dog attacks and things like that. And then it's this instant, like, this breed of dog is aggressive and vicious because it attacked one child or one human. Um, But that could really, even if my dogs have snapped at me before, just Mm -hmm. because. They're dogs. Yeah. They're not people. (laughs) Right. And you're also, for you, you're all up in their business. Correct. I mean, right up in their face, which is not really what dogs like. Sure. No. They always say in a fear-free clinical practice, you don't look directly in the animal's eyes. Well, I don't have that option. You don't. So I have to create an entire practice, whether it's my staff training. I mean, I would say most of my clients would describe a their animal or their pet is completely different at my practice than they are at a regular veterinary practice. I make sure it doesn't smell like a veterinary practice, doesn't mm-hmm. look like a veterinary practice. We use all, um, ac- our goal is to make it the least stressful. And that starts with the person walking in behind yeah. the leash, right? So if you walk in stressed or anxious, your pet's going to be anxious. So we start first with, with you, the person who's coming in with their pet. Mm-hmm. And then from there, make it just the most seamless, smooth, relaxing, easy, non-stressful. Yeah. Because I could see a dog bite to your face would make you a little gun shy. Yeah, it was devastating. And I would say actually probably only in the last couple of years have I become confident enough to not even let it cross my mind, even with aggressive dogs or Mm -hmm. dogs that are fearful. Uh, But it took years. I mean, that happened many, many years ago. Wow. I'm trying to think I was in my first year of veterinary school. So, wow. Yeah, yeah, I could see that would make you mm. waver yeah, a little absolutely. bit. Um, let's go back. Well, what high school did you go to? I went to a little Seventh-day Adventist high school. Oh. Well, I went to Grants Pass, Seventh-day Adventist, right? So they only go to 10th grade. Okay. And so then the option typically is like go to boarding academy or join a public school. So I ended up going to New Hope Christian School. Mm-hmm. And by then I was just so sick of school and wanted to become a veterinarian so badly that I did 11th and 12th year together. And I it's silly. I'd skip sixth grade. So I graduated high school at 16. That's how, like, I just want to get to vet school. Like, that's all I could think about. And then I'm going to get to college, and I'm going to do fantastic and get amazing grades, and then I'm going to get into vets. I mean, I'm just very, very, very goal-oriented. When yeah. I find something I want, I get it. Yeah. I mean, and that would – I you're overachiever. Uh, or, yeah, maybe. Overachiever? I just, I'm, I'm just jealous. achieving what I want. <laughs> well, I'm just, I guess I'm a little uh, jealous of, I had a friend in college, like, we all entered at 18, and she was 17. And I'm mm, like, oh. Yeah. 
But she also couldn't drink before the rest of you. True. Uh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so you graduate. And I, you're forced to mature a lot faster. I wouldn't recommend yeah. it to anyone, honestly. It, it, anybody that has kids or thinking about, hey, should I bump them up a grade? No. Give them something else to develop them, whether that's 4-H or whatever mm-hmm. kind of passion they might have. I actually think pressing yourself through school because, you know, even a jump from fifth grade to seventh grade, fifth grade girls don't talk about what seventh grade girls talk about. Oh, not, at, not even yeah. close. Fifth grade girls don't shave their legs. Seventh right. grade girls might, you know. Ooh, so there's a really super tough, really tough, and that's luckily my sister and I did it together. Yeah. But I would say I was pushed and really, really hard to mature much faster than I needed. Yeah. Needed to really. Right. Maybe that makes me stronger and better today, possibly. But I definitely don't recommend it. Yeah, because I mean, I personally think middle school girls are. Sorry, I was one. Awful. Like yeah. Middle school girls are really yeah. awful. Right. I agree. And it's like, that's the worst time, I think. What I mean, how old are you when you're in the seventh grade, typically? Like 13? Yeah. Ugh. It's just the worst time. It is. It's have, a really tough time, irregardless of yeah. other circumstances. You have yeah. all of these hormones going on, mm-hmm. and you're just... I just remember being a nasty teenager. <laughs> just, like, awful to my mom. and um, But, yeah, so I can't imagine being younger and in class with girls like that. It was tough. I bet. It was tough. So do you regret it at all, graduating at 16? Well, I don't know that I regret it. I I just, if someone came up to me and said, hey, should I try and establish some other interests for my child at whatever age, or should I push them Mm -hmm. through? I I would say establish, because, you know, going to college at 16, 17, I mean, that's that's tough. Even I went to an Adventist college, so it's relatively strict. You know, girls dorm, boys Mm -hmm. dorm. It's very, it it was definitely the only option I had as far as college uh, in my parents' eyes, for sure, (laughs) leaving that young. But you just, there's things that I I had to learn a very, very hard way. Right. Very sure. quickly. Uh, so what college did you go to? I went to Walla Walla University okay. in Walla Walla, yeah, which is, again, another little Adventist college. And I graduated there with a Bachelor of um, Science, right, biology, minor in mm-hmm. chemistry. So did you know – you knew you wanted to be a veterinarian. When did it occur to you that I want to deal with eyeballs, yeah. animal eyeballs? <laughs> so I – had a fantastic equine doctor that I worked with uh, actually in Bend, Oregon for the summer uh, between, I think it was my, between my first and second year of vet school. And he said, if you're smart, you'll be an ophthalmologist. And I, and it never even crossed my mind. I was like, I want to be a horse doctor. I want to be, a, you know, I'm all about horses. That's what I'm going to do. And he goes, yeah, you can look at horses in your heels and go look at their eyeballs and walk away. And you're not going to get kicked and you're not going to get called in the middle of the night to deal with a colic. You're, he's like, and of all the ophthalmologist or the veterinary specialist it's a it's a well-paid profession that you don't have to work as hard I mean I the veterinarians and the passion that I see in the veterinarians in this community are amazing and they work hard these veterinarians are not working eight to five Monday through Thursday right Mm -hmm. they're working five to seven days a week dealing with emergencies dealing Mm -hmm. you know there and I think as veterinarians we're passionate about what we do and so we we do it more than we probably should we don't we're not good with boundaries some of us are some of us are not right but so that's who kind of put the the idea in my mind. If you're smart, you'll be an ophthalmologist. If you're smart. So I was like, well, I'm smart. Let me look into this. <laughs> so so then I think around that time, my dog bite happened. And then I met uh, an ophthalmologist actually up in Spokane that I spent some time with. And I think like anything, you get inspired by someone and suddenly you want to be that person. Mm-hmm, for sure. Who Do you remember the doctor in Bend who said that to you? He, yeah, Bill uh, Schmotzer. Hmm. Yeah. Thanks, mm-hmm. Dr. Schmotzer. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Schmotzer. To this day. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, does this take you on a path to get more education? Or correct. Okay. So you go through four years of undergraduate. You then go to veterinary school for four years. You're then a doctor of veterinary medicine, and then you go and do a one-year clinical internship, and then apply for a residency. And a residency is three years. So I went from Walla Walla University to Washington State up in Pullman, and then went all the way. I, I tried for the match program, which is basically it happens in human and veterinary side. You apply to a bunch of places that you want to go, and they evaluate you, and you hope you get matched up. Mm-hmm. I actually didn't, so I had to do a lot of scrambling to try and find an internship program, and I ended up finding one in Detroit, just outside of Detroit. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm going to Michigan. Like, here I am, little Oregonian, Washington <laughs> State girl. I'm like, I'm going to go to Michigan. And so I, and it was one of the most fantastic things. I mean, the culture, the experience everything about going to Michigan was fantastic the state is fantastic so I went there and got my internship and then ended up staying with 
the same practice, applied for their ophthalmology residency, and then spent that time there. Mm-hmm. I read that on your bio that you did this in Detroit. And I was yeah. like, oh, that's probably a culture shock. It, oh, from Southern Oregon? Yes, yeah. <laughs> big time. Yeah. But the, one of the best things that probably could have happened to me, I mean, you, you don't know what you don't know until you see it. Amen. Did you, um, what year was this that you were in Detroit? Do you remember? So I left for Detroit in 2004. Graduated high school, no, 2008, my apology. So high school, 2000, 2004, veterinary school, and then graduated veterinary school, 2008, and then finished my residency postdoc in 2012. What were some of the things that you noticed right off the bat that was just when you moved there that you were just like, whoa, this is different? I mean, I think I would think the first thing is that, I mean, let's be honest, we don't have a lot of black people in Southern Oregon. Yeah. And there's significantly more in Detroit. Yeah. Was that Absolutely. a shock for you? Yeah. In fact, I was uh, talking to a friend of mine about this interview, and I and I said, yeah, I moved to Detroit, and suddenly, like, whoa, there's black people. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just, it, you don't realize until you get somewhere out of Southern Oregon how we're really not that diverse. At all. At all. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was really good, uh, you know, to learn different cultures and ideas, and mm-hmm. um, the weather is very different there. How so? Oh, like, Piles and piles and piles of snow mm. and minus 20 degrees and mm-hmm. crazy weather. And mm-hmm. then beautiful summers. But I feel like the only reason Michigan thinks summers are so beautiful is because it only happens for a few months. And like nine months out of the year, it's yeah. freezing cold with a bunch of snow. So you just so. really take in the summer. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. As much as yeah. you can. Yeah. Um, and then I guess moving back, was that a culture shock moving back? Or were you kind of like, I'm home now? Yeah, it was a culture shock. Especially, I mean, I was gone for... Uh, 16 years, 12, 13, 14, almost 15 years. And so to come back to really a a very grown area, I mean, before it was like you, you know, the first exit to Grants Pass, you didn't have anything. Maybe the Walmart was there before I left, you know, but there was nothing. And so that, that, that is all really, really grown. Uh, Mm -hmm. Obviously Medford has grown. And I told my dad when I made the decision to come back, I said, I'll be there one year. It'll fail. There's no way. You need a certain population of people to support a veterinary ophthalmologist. They say at least a half a million people within a 30 mile radius. So, you know, I was in Grand Rapids. There was a million people within a 30 mile radius Mm -hmm. and multiple ophthalmologists. And we were all very successful. And so I assumed I'm like, I'm going to move here. It's not going to go that well. And then I'm going to leave and I'll go to another big city. But I was ready for a change. I was ready to leave winter yeah. <laughs> in Michigan. Yeah. And and I love my family and I've been with my family in a long time. So I was uh, excited for the opportunity to move home. Well, is, was that part of the decision to come home? Were you oh, just sure. ready? Sure. Yeah. 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 There's okay. always little things. You know, I in some ways I regret it that I had a lot of things in Michigan and that area that I don't have here. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it's been new and different, and I mm-hmm. love having my family support here. Okay, so you decide to come back home to work, but you, you're you like, I probably won't be there long. I'm going to have to go somewhere else. Right. Okay. Correct. I did not think the community would support this. I mean, you think about it, it's somewhat elective, meaning when an – when your pet has a problem, there are things such as a heart problem. Your pet's not going to continue to keep walking if you don't address their heart problem. Mm-hmm. You don't address their eye problem; they're going to keep. They're going to be okay, right? You don't address that they're blind. You can probably manage a blind pet. So, t- to me, I thought, well, this is a little bit in my mind elective. I almost went through a process of feeling kind of bad about the p- profession I chose because I'm like, wow, I, I don't know. Maybe this is really mm-hmm. just like an elective thing. Well. What you don't realize is until you can make a blind animal, any animal, flamingo, dog, any animal, go from being blind to seeing, like that's incredible. Yeah. And that is something for an owner that is so emotional. And if you think about when you look at your dog, when you look at, you look at his eyes, right? Mm-hmm. That's what you do. Mm-hmm. And so it, there's a huge bond for people emotionally with their animal's eyes. Yeah. And so, yeah, so people are very willing to 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 reach out for specialty type care for their pet's eyes. This is super special. Right. Right. I mean, it's just like you. If you have an eye problem, where do you go? You go to your eye doctor, right? right? Right. That's what you're doing. So you move back. You work at, it's the Southern Oregon Animal Hospital. Right. So yeah, I started with the Southern Oregon Veterinary Specialty Hospital. Mm -hmm. They're the 24-hour emergency hospital here. And I worked with them for about 18 months and then opened up Bliss Animal Eye Care. Yeah, you opened up your own place. Right. (laughs) Which is crazy. crazy. It is crazy. And And I still look back and I think it's been almost three years and I, I 
to I look back at like Facebook memories of me getting, you know, like your cups, right? Like I would get a bottle that says Bliss Animal Eye Care, a jacket, and I'm like, I can't believe that was three years ago because yeah. my, my business has just been so supported by the community That's and awesome. I've learned a ton, mm-hmm. a ton, uh, both good and bad. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, you know, you it's a school of hard knocks to own a business. Anybody who's a business owner, I commend you that nobody understands until you're there. And yeah. everyone told me you're not going to get it. And I'm like, I got this. I... <laughs> I, I'm smart. I'm good. And then I got into it and was like, oh, no, this is really hard. Yeah, yeah. So, so you work at the Southern Oregon Animal Hospital. And were you surprised at the amount of, I guess, business or whatever that you got? Sure. Yeah. Within six months, I was completely booked and busy. Wow. And so I, yeah, I was. I was shocked. I thought, wow, this is amazing. This was something that the community really needed and wanted. Mm-hmm. And I think that this area has a lot of people coming and retiring here. And so I, a, a large majority of my clients are actually retired and their pet is their new kid, right? Yeah. And so they want everything. They want the same care. And, you know, I have people that come in and say, I had cataract surgery. It was amazing. I want my dog to have cataract surgery. So it's, it's a, yeah, it's really, it's really cool. And of course we're here for all the other, you know, injuries. I mean, there's so much more than, yeah. you know, cataract surgery. But. Uh, let's talk about eyeballs. Let's talk about eyeballs. For the most part, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I have no idea what I'm talking about. Human eyeballs are for the most part the same. Right. So right. if an eye doctor eye is eye. looking at your eyeballs and then my eyeballs, it's pretty much where it's constructed the same. Sure. Okay. Right. Right. Not the case with animal eyeballs. Not at all. Not at all. Are they the same in like, like from dog to dog to dog? Are they the same or not? No. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So I would say within a species, they're definitely, uh, but even if you look at the, you know, like our domestic cat versus a tiger, our domestic cat has a slit shaped like a, you know, long oblong pupil, right? And a tiger has a round pupil. So okay. even amongst that, there's differences. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of incredible. I, giving you just a couple examples, like recently I did cataract surgery on Catalina, who's a flamingo, right? So the white part of eye, our eye, which is called the sclera, right, is kind of a, it's a tough tissue, but it's a soft tissue. And in birds, it's the bone. They're called scleral ossicles. It's actually big sheets of bones that go around the eye. So when you go to approach an eye for surgery, where you place your incision, the kind of suture you use, everything is different. You're dealing with bone, right, versus soft tissue. Crazy. And it's innervated differently, and it's, everything's different. So Okay, so you did surgery on a flamingo. Right. Like, Who knew? Just recently? Yeah, within the last year. Was it a year? Maybe it was a little over a year ago now. But, yeah, out of uh, Wildlife Safari, so up in Winston. Okay. They literally get her out of her house, which they keep those flamingos for, you know, for predation reasons, to keep them safe at night in their little house. And she came out, and she just started running into everything. Because people always Aww. ask me, how do you know How do you know if she needed cataract surgery? Well, she couldn't see. She was blind. She was running so into everything. She was running into anything. So, Your first so clue. They, <clears throat> right. So they bring her in. And I didn't know really that much about flamingos. There was only one person that I found in the United States that had actually done cataract surgery on a flamingo, uh, and it was out in New York. And so I'm like, wow, this is really kind of uncharted territory, but let's let's do this, you know, if this is our chance. And she did fantastic, and I, it's been an incredible experience to watch her now reintegrate within the flock. She's actually the smallest. So if you go to Wildlife Safari, she's the smallest flamingo, and she has a mohawk. So you can pick nice. her out by that. The other day they posted a picture of the snow and all the flamingos. Yeah. I was like, I can see Catalina because you can see her little mohawk. Catalina. You, yeah. So you have to – that was going to be my next question. Going through school, you don't learn about every single animal and every single eyeball. Like so, sometimes it's a progress like or a process of when you get an animal in, you have to – I've never worked on this animal before. I'm going to have to look it up. Or? Sure. So – in veterinary school, and every veterinary school is just a little bit different, but let's mm. say in veterinary school where I'm going to get out, you kind of decide, do you want to be small animal? Do you want to be large animal? And you focus your classes, especially in your last year of clinicals, on the species or, or the group of animals that you want to work on, right? There's fewer and fewer veterinarians that do everything, mixed animal practice. Okay. Um, so in veterinary, well, like once I graduated veterinary school and went into my ophthalmology, they actually call it a comparative veterinary ophthalmology. So they test you and they train you on all species of animals. So you do need to understand the difference between, you know, a frog, a penguin, a dog, a cat. And you have to understand, I mean, something as simple as color vision, right? So you and I see in three wavelengths of color. Well, what does... What does a dog see in, or or what does a penguin or, or a mantis shrimp or things like that? So you do learn all that. Now, let's say that flamingo walks in. Did I study a lot about flamingos? I had to know the literature. I know the literature that's been published 
but how many things are published on flamingos? So, right. for example, in my residency, I published normal values for a flock of macaroni and rockhopper penguins at the Detroit Zoo. No one had gone in and said, okay, here's a flock of penguins. What is normal pressure? What is their normal tear production? Because then if I have a flamingo or a penguin walk into my practice, I can now open the study that says, oh, so in this group of 30 penguins, mm -hmm. this is what, I, what they think would be normal values. The vision of a penguin walking into your clinic is they pretty waddle. cute. It yeah. is so cute. So you, you worked at the Detroit <clears throat> Zoo. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that was just incredibly eye-opening. Sorry. Not eye-opening for sure. I'm yeah. a journalist. So you're good. You're I'm good, good with words. <laughs> so, so yeah, it was really actually amazing. So part of your residency, you do have to take on a project. And so I... Uh, decided to study the rockhopper and macaroni penguins, and I found that uh, by the time, rock, like for example, macaroni penguins are eight and a half years old in captivity, they have a cataract in at least one eye. Hmm. By the time they're 12, they have cataracts in both eyes. Wow. So the reason why we didn't really know, like we, we don't pull these pengu penguins out and look at their eyes every mm -hmm. year, although now they do because of this, they were blind, but they're in a habitat that never changes, and they get fed, and there's no predators. So we, you would not know. So my research, which was really cool, I actually got awarded the best clinical research paper as a resident. I know, I know. So I was super excited. And that research has now been a platform for other ophthalmologists to take off and go, okay, what is causing cataracts in our penguins? What, what, mm -hmm. it, what is it in our, in our zoos? So you can look at the, a lot of studies that have been done on sea lions that are in captivity. Mm -hmm. We put them in these beautiful blue pools mm -hmm. with no shade and it's gorgeous and you go oh this is fantastic well they're all getting cataracts or keratitis like disease on their corneas well it's because they're getting massive amounts of uv exposure and we've got bright blue lights and so now they're learning you go into these new um, environments and they're shaded and they have a different color like a light tan pool color things mm -hmm. like that so it's really been cool ophthalmologists coming in and and whether it's in wild populations or captive populations understanding we might actually be doing some detriment to eyes without even knowing it. Right. Because does this happen in the wild? Right. That's the question. So okay. it's much harder to walk into the wild and trap a bunch of rock copper penguins and let them, you know, and Is let it? the, yeah, it's a little tough. I'm, I'm waiting for the day they call me to go do that because I oh, will go do it. That would be awesome. But, but yeah, there has not been studies, really every study. And there's mm -hmm. been a few other studies on other um, penguin species uh, that similar to mine. You know, let's take our 30 penguins and go, okay, what are their pressures? What are their tear tests? Do they have cataracts? Things like that. We actually did that with the flock of flamingos uh, at Wildlife Safari. We said, okay, you guys have, you know, this group of flamingos. W what's going on with them? Mm -hmm. You know? And it, the interesting thing, too, is a lot of them are going to live a lot longer in captivity. So, like, for example, wildlife images, their kind of ambassador eagle phoenix, who sadly passed away I this know. year. So heartbreaking. I had the opportunity to do cataract surgery on him four years ago, right? And so, he, but he's living much longer than a, or a golden eagle in the wild would mm -hmm. live, right? So is he getting age-related cataracts? Is this nutritional cat? You know, that's the question. Well, when you compare the wild, well, there are no eagles out there that are that old in the wild that yeah, we, you know. exactly, that we know of. Right. Uh, what was the coolest thing about working with penguins? I mean, I know you see, you know, National Geographic <laughs> documentaries and stuff, and it just seems like they have so much personality. They do. They do have a lot of personality, and they bite. <laughs> Nobody ever talks about that. <laughs> and and I remember the, the room that we did our study in, there was multiple studies that were being done. There was a thermography study and things like that. And so they literally would walk kind of these or waddle these little penguins into the room. And you could tell, is it like a room maybe the quarter of the size because it's a freezer, right? Mm -hmm. We're in like, we have to be super cold because that's their environment right. is super cold. We can't bring them out and like look at them in a clinical setting. <laughs> right. So we're all like totally bundled up and freezing and in comes this penguin. And you can just see the look like this is... This is not where I want to be, <laughs> you know. But they're really, most of them are very good. We uh, restrain them in a way it's almost like a hug, right? Mm -hmm. um, so most of them are great. But, yeah, they bite. They're not They're not happy. About, they like to be. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the cool things about animal eye, eyeballs that you have learned? I know you were um, telling me something about, is it predatory birds, hawks, and eagles specifically? Right. So if you think about uh, the macula, right? So our macula, you've heard of macular degeneration, right? Mm -hmm. So it's the area of our retina, nurse tissue in the back of the eye, that we focus the most on. So if we're going to read or we're going to look at something, we're using our macula, and that's where we're going to get our best acuity. Things are going to be the most in focus. So an eagle, for example, they're not called a macula, but let's say it's same same kind of structure. They actually have two of them. Okay. And the reason for that is they can fly 
and look at where they're flying and also use another one to focus on whatever they might be after fish in the water. Mm -hmm. And then as they're diving, they switch halfway through on which one that they're using. So it's really incredible. So, and that's just one. I mean, you look at every animal in the wild and go, okay, how is their eye unique to their niche? Right. right? So something as simple, let's say as an elephant, they also have two. Why? Because they need to see around their trunk. Uh, mm -hmm. Three-toed sloth, theirs is upside down. Why? Because they spend a lot of their life upside down. Right? Uh, frogs. Frogs are amazing. So frogs swallow with their eyes. So and, and it doesn't really, you go, oh, okay, that's kind of cool, whatever. But as an ophthalmologist, what if I have a frog eye that's not, wor that's not good and I have to remove it? I've had to remove, excuse me, frog eyes. Well, so they actually did a study, which is just silly. Like some resident out there must have gotten a word for this. So if a normal frog swallows a cricket with one swallow, and if you remove their ability to use their eyes, which they use these muscles to push things into their oropharynx, mm -hmm. if you remove their eyes, then it takes four swallows. That's cool. That's good to know. Yeah. Give your frog a little more time to eat. Right. Four <laughs> swallows instead of one. You've right. had to remove frog eyes before? Yeah. yeah. Why? Well, just like any other reason you have to remove it, an eye. So typically, I try and save eyes, right? I'm an ophthalmologist. I, yes. The last thing I want to do is remove an eye. Right. But uh, tumors would be one reason we remove an eye because we could cure them. There are tumors that grow in the eyes of our pets, the, mm -hmm. our eyes, mm -hmm. that removing it is curative. So that would be a process. Or painful diseases. So the frog that I'm thinking in my head was one that had a corneal laceration so bad that the inside of the eye was coming out. That's a very painful thing. They're going to quit eating. They're going to quit thriving, mm -hmm. right? So any kind of eye disease that's causing a failure to thrive might indicate the best thing for us to do is remove the eye or a risk of further issues yeah. like infections. Things was like this that. a pet frog for somebody? This was at the zoo. The zoo. Okay. Yeah. You worked on a ton of different animals <clears throat> at the zoo. Correct. Okay. Correct. And I still, I mean, still working with wildlife images, wildlife safari. I work on, I mean, literally last week I looked at a barn owl and a screech owl and, I, you know, today I'm going to look at a horse. I, you know, right. I get right. a very diverse Mm-hmm. Cows? Rarely cows. And the reason for that is, again, it comes down to financial, right? There's sure. not too many pet cows, <laughs> <laughs> right? So there's a lot of cows that are used for meat and things like that. And yeah. so it's more of a herd mentality. And they're not necessarily going to bring the ophthalmologist that might show up in heels to look at their cow. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of dogs. Lots of dogs. 80% of my practice is dogs. Cats? Uh, I would say 18%. Okay. I, I would say 20, 80, but of course I have all these other things like horses sure. and things like that. And but a lot yeah. of horses. Yeah, quite a few horses, amazingly enough, yeah. Okay, any other, you know, those other pets that people may have, like um, snakes? So, yeah, yeah, I will look at snakes. Will you? <laughs> yeah, I will. I do will. You they want actually to? have, not really. <laughs> they actually do have eye issues that, because they, they uh, you know, shed their skin, right? Yeah. Well, they actually have a spectacle over their eye, that's, and, and that has to be shed, so they'll get what's called ectysis, where they, they don't actually shed it. It's typically an environmental thing, but anyway, no, snakes are not my favorite, but this week I saw a pet rabbit. Okay. Right? Uh, I've seen little hamsters. Uh, I would say birds. I definitely see a lot of domestic pet type birds. Parrots? Yeah, parrots. Yep, okay. I've seen a lot of parrots, done a lot of cataract surgery on parrots. Um, the mind-blowing. I know. Well, people don't want their pets to be blind. I don't blame them. It's just, <laughs> I'm just so um, totally complimenting you. You're so oh, damn smart. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, I know this is your job, and you have to know all this stuff, but it's just you're so freaking smart when it comes to animal eyeballs. That's good. I need to be. I need to be. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you yeah. have to be, and I told yeah. – it's like I get that, but I just – I'm so impressed when someone has – a niche, a passion, yeah. and they just are so nerdy about it that it's mm. like, yeah. I'm real nerdy. <laughs> you, but in a great, in a great, yeah. awesome way. Right. Nerdy. Right. Um, and do you think flamingo is one of the most unique, bizarre animals that you've ever done surgery on, or have there been others? Probably. I mean, yeah. I, you know, looking back over the, you know, even over the last couple of years, I would say I, she's the most memorable, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but there's lots of different species of animals, and it's interesting getting to know their personalities. Uh, for example, Catalina, I did not know that flamingos are not uh, coordinated. Mm -hmm. So you take a flamingo and you have to look at their eye, and then you set them down. They're going to fall down. They're literally, their legs are going to go, whoop! And they're going to fall down. And so learning that was like, oh, I didn't realize the first time we set Catalina down, she would, like, take a couple steps, and her wings would go one way, and her legs would go the other, and she'd dunk her head into the water. And uh, I was like, whoa. They're like, yeah, flamingos are not coordinated. They look like it. They can stand on one leg for a very long time. 
they are not coordinated. Fascinating. So it's fun to get to know their personalities. I too. bet. So uh, just to recap again, you opened your own clinic three years ago. Correct. What was the motivation to do that? Did you just feel like I've got something here? So I think that's part of it. I. I'm a microsurgeon, so that also means I'm a micromanager. And I had a, yeah, I had a <laughs> dream and an idea of what a perfect client experience would be. And that is that experience that from the moment you look on my website to picking up the phone to talking to my highly trained, incredible staff to walking in the door and seeing a practice that feels and looks like a Northwestern spa and your pet being relaxed and it, that that kind of environment I had to control because mm-hmm. I was beating my head against, I want this. And it's not that everybody else doesn't. It's that sometimes that's impractical. You can't take a 24-hour emergency hospital and expect it to be all roses right. and waterfalls, right. Right? right? And so I was like, if I really want this, and I, and I felt myself fighting this the whole time. It's like, I don't want to own my own practice. It's so much stress. And then I went, you know, I actually think the reason why I'm, you know, banging my head against going, well, this is how I want people to answer the phone. And this is how I, I suddenly went, you know what? Why don't I just do that? Why don't I nice. actually just create an environment that hopefully for 100% of my clients mm-hmm. is a perfect client experience. They come in and go, whoa, this is not, this yeah. is your staff are amazing. I mean, I've had just re- this last week, one of my clients go, you know, it's really hard to find really good customer service where people just go above and beyond mm-hmm. to make your experience fantastic. And and it's, and it's I have young employees, and they are, you walk in the door, they stand up, they offer water and coffee, they already know your pet's name. They're, you know, this is, you are, it's like visiting me at my home. Yeah. We're never going to leave you. You're never going to feel like, oh, you know, I want your experience to feel like you, you trust Everyone, from the person that walks in the door, the phone is not as important as that that person that just took time out of their yeah. day to get to entrust us with probably one of the most important things in their lives. A hundred thousand percent. This is an extension of your home. Correct. Your business. Correct. Um, and I think, too, I have a little PTSD when I walk into the Southern Oregon Animal Hospital sure. or even my vet's <laughs> office because I've received very bad news in those two places. Right. And so it's not my favorite thing. It's like, it's almost And your pet knows that. Right. (laughs) They can feel that. Yeah. Right through the leash. It's like going to the dentist almost, where the last time you went, they were like, ugh, you have to have a root canal. Sorry. So like every time you walk in. Right. I know. (laughs) It's compassion fatigue, right? And I think that's something that veterinarians, everybody, you you don't think about. You walk in and you think, oh, my experience was terrible. They gave me bad news. Mm -hmm. Imagine what it was like for that veterinarian who gave you bad news Mm -hmm. and the next 10 clients bad news and maybe even had to say goodbye to some patients or pets. So compassion, right? And and what do you expect when you walk into the practice? Not that I had a bad day or the client before yelled at me. I come in and it's all about you and your pet and making you feel like this is, you're it. You're the Mm -hmm. only reason I came today. Imagine what it's like. Yeah. Luckily, I have a job that doesn't involve like most of 90%, right? you know, death and dying. But imagine what it's like for a veterinarian that you have to do that happy happy puppy wellness exam and then walk into the next room and tell someone that their pet has cancer. Exactly. It's incredible. Veterinarians are incredible people. And then imagine too like them having to walk you through the diagnosis and then having at some point to put your animal down. Right. And then you bring in the financial cost, right? Mm -hmm. So we we don't, pet insurance is becoming more Mm -hmm. known about in veterinary medicine. However, most of the time, maybe the decision you're making is financial and and what a burden that is on you and what a burden it is on me or some veterinarian Mm -hmm. to it's like oh i have what it would take to fix your pet i have everything at my disposal but it costs money costs money to have a building it costs money to train staff it costs you know all these things and and that's that again it comes back to compassion that's tough right it's really tough right it is um one of my my cat that i had to put down she was just not doing well. She'd had a couple surgeries, and we did a blood transfusion. Yeah. And she was better, but not great. And then throughout the week, she sort of, like, said goodbye to us. And then at the end of the week, she was deteriorating again. And my vet, uh, Dr. Tammy Rogers, who you know. Uh, yeah, I love Dr. Um, Rogers. <laughs> she said, you know, we can continue to do blood transfusions, but ultimately it's it's not going to do anything. Right. So that decision for pet owners too, and and veterinarians, that relationship that you have to be open and honest and say, you know, look at your dog or your cat or your whatever and just say, I have to let them go now. Right. Ugh. Right. Right. Sad. And there's Ugh. a lot of guilt associated with that. It's a like, ton. am I doing the right thing? Did I spend enough? Did I? And I've had, you know, one of my m- most memorable recent cases we did major surgery on this dog. It, it had a tumor around its eye, and I reconstructed its entire face 
to get rid of this tumor. And it ended up metastasizing to the local lymph node and the dog only lived another two months. How devastating as a client to think, I put my dog through a major surgery, I mm-hmm. spent major money mm-hmm. doing this, and my pet only, you know, there's that guilt. And, and how do you work through that where it's like, wow, there are bad diseases out there that you could do everything right, right, everything, and still have things. So and talk I would about something say, happier. <laughs> yeah, I would say though too, that owner got two more months with right. their baby. Right, which was, yeah. and which is huge. And they're only dealing with after, like, I miss, what, did I do the right thing? Yeah. Yeah. You know, did surgery change? Did, would she have passed sooner if I yeah. hadn't? Would she have passed, you know, so. I also think animals talk, tell us, though. I mean, I know the two animals that I had to put down, they absolutely let me know. They just let me know. And well, I think you're an if animal you, person. Yeah. Yes, I am. Yeah. And yeah. if you trust that, they, yeah. they will let you know. All right, we're going to move on to happier. Yeah, please, happier. happier We've lost topic. everybody. You have, um, <laughs> I totally, totally stalked you on Facebook. You have, oh, good. You have, <laughs> oh, goody. You have two <clears throat> bird dogs? I do. I have okay. an English pointer and a German short hair pointer. Uh, so when I was in Michigan, I actually competed in tournament. So I did tournament hunting, which was fantastic. I totally loved it. Um, it's kind of like hunt testing, but it, it's not just about the dog. You, It's a team event. So you have to be as good of a shooter as your dog is a hunter. And so I competed in that, and it was we had so much fun. My, my Ella dog, which is I call her Ella Bad Dog Bliss. You could hashtag this. She's very bad dog but she was my first yeah she was my first bird dog and I think you make all your mistakes on your first bird dog I got her as a stray just outside of Detroit oh no way yeah and I literally went from never ever bird hunting in my life or owning a bird dog to owning a bird dog and now bird hunting and then wanting to compete and so and and I did this kind of during my residency and then uh when I when I was done with my residency I was like I'm gonna do this like crazy full-time so I went what I got amateur dog of the year. I went to the worlds. I, I mean, I literally just decided this was my huge passion. Mm -hmm. And I got to the point where if you compete or you win a a certain number of times, you have to go pro. (laughs) And I was like, oh, well, I didn't plan on this. So, so there's always the ladies division, but the pro or, you know, they used to call it the men's, we don't call it the men's division, it's pro division. So they have four, they have four dogs. Like that's the maximum number of dogs. Well, the pros have four dogs because you get four chances at the field. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to get myself a pup. And so I got my little uh, English pointer. As a puppy. Dazzle as a puppy and trained her the whole time. I worked with trainers. I got her into the competitive level and she is incredible. Like the best bird dog in my opinion. She's perfect. Ella is bad and she is perfect. <laughs> Ella. And, and Ella now she's, uh, I've had her for 10 years and wow. I got her as an adult. So she's getting older. It's so tough. I can't I even, I can't. Let's ugh. not talk about Let's it. Let's not talk about that. So. Ugh. Dazzle is actually back in Michigan because I brought her here. I competed in the Oregon Bird Dog uh, Championship, and I realized there just wasn't the same kind of hunting here that there was in Michigan. And she's four, almost going on five. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I w- my whole plan with her was to compete and be very successful and then breed her and have, you know, that kind of thing. Well, she actually tore her ACL in one leg, so she had to go off for six months and then tore her other ACL. So we had these major surgeries. She was off for a year, and then she's finally back, and, and I had to spay her. She got a mammary. T- I mean, it was just like she was just a lemon from the factory. So I'm like, I can't breed this, <laughs> right? So so now she is in Michigan hunting, loving life, and I am here with Ella and my, her little geriatric troublemaking. Awesome. She, yeah. Will you get Dazzle back? At some we'll point. see. So okay. when I yeah when I sent her to Michigan, I sent her with one of my best friends who hunts her. Um, but he also has two little girls, mm-hmm. and Dazzle loves kids, mm. and so they've really bonded with her. And so now I feel a little guilty. I still say she's my dog, right. but those little girls think they're her dog. Their dog now. So we'll see. We'll yeah, see. she may see you and be like, who, who are you? Yeah, she'll always know who I am. I had her too little. <laughs> she'll always know. So when you do these tournaments, you're, it, it involves birds? Correct. So okay, it is live, uh, typically chucker or quail okay. or pheasant. Okay. Right? So you're, you're kind of pen-raised birds, okay. upland okay. birds. And so they, they plant the birds and the dogs go find them? Yeah, correct. Okay. Yes, yeah, so basically. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. basically. Yep. Uh, what do you shoot with? I shoot with a Browning Satori. 20 gauge over under. Okay. Yeah. It's old, like 1970s gun. It was the first gun. When I got Ella 10 years ago, I got that gun used 
and I've had that gun, and that's what I've competed with. When I got really big into competing, I was like, I need to go with a 12-gauge bigger gun. Mm-hmm. Nothing replaces my 20-gauge. It's perfect. It fits me perfect. Awesome. We're, yeah, so. It's just a match. It's perfect. Feels yeah. Our, Ella, that gun, me, we're good. <laughs> so the first <clears throat> gun I've ever had was a Remington 870. Nice. Yeah. Right. So from South Carolina, yeah. my whole family bird hunting. I mean, we yeah. bird hunted right. forever. Out in the west. Yeah. Yes. East Coast, it's everywhere. Here, yeah. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I so thought it was going to be better than it was. It was yeah. a bummer. I've never been bird hunting as a child. I have yeah. been as an adult. Yeah. But um, it was the cutest thing. My grandpa, um, when I told him I got a Remington 870, his eyes sort of lit up and he looked at me and he said, that was my first gun. So then I was just like, Aww. oh. Okay, so that was, it's just a very big deal for me. Um, I have gone bird hunting here in Southern Oregon yeah. with bird dogs. Yeah. The scariest thing for me, it's awesome watching them yeah. just point. Right. It's incredible. Yeah. And it's just a part of them. They just know what I know. they're doing. It's absolutely, yeah. The scary part for me is when the chucker flies yeah. out from wherever it is. Yeah. And then I have to shoot the bird with the dog running underneath the bird. Yeah. It so I, freaks me out. Yeah. So my dogs are trained not to move until after the gunshot. Your dogs are smart. Yeah. They're smart like their mom. Uh, I don't know. But yeah, so I I, I think it's safe and yeah. and also stylish. My dogs do not move until the gunshot. There, there are a lot of dogs, pointers, that are in higher competitions like contest field trials. They don't move, period, until they're released. So you can have someone shoot, harvest a bird, and then the that dog can't move until you release it to go get that bird. God, that's I so just released impressive. him on the shot, but yeah. So how do you train them to do that? Just like you would train them to sit? Right. So they're really uh, pointing dogs only need to do three things. They need to stand still. They need to come with you, right, to hunt, and they need to come back to you. That's mm-hmm. it. So you teach them from a puppy, stand still. And they're like, okay. And then pretty soon you integrate that into standstill when there's a bird. Mm-hmm. They already ha- They already do that automatically, right? Mm-hmm. They already know. But I'm basically going to teach this dog, once we're in a field and their brain is bird dog brain, they've already learned, this is how I stand still. This is what I do to come with, right? Hunt, right. quarter. Mm-hmm. And, and so all that's integrated from like baby, baby. I didn't get to do that with Ella because I didn't know what I was doing. Right. I get to do that with Dazzle. So, yeah. So I literally, you're not allowed to move until I tell you it's okay to move. Wow. That's fun. Do you, it is fun. Do I really enjoy it. Do you bird hunt now? Very little. Very I wish little. I, yeah, I wish I was doing it more. Are you too busy? There just isn't the same kind of bird opportunities here. I was really big into the tournament hunting, which is very different. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, and the chucker is definitely here, but a bit of a drive. But there just isn't the tournament hunting that I'm mm-hmm. competitive and I want to be in a competitive type field. And they're just for pointers. Flushing dogs, labs, there is the, the retrievers, that kind of thing, very big down here. But mm-hmm. when it comes to pointers, it's a little less popular in this yeah, area. Yeah, for sure. It is. It's fun, though. So fun. Oh, so bird fun. hunting is super fun. Yeah. And then you get home and you're just exhausted because you've been just like just walking everywhere. And, <laughs> yeah. And you're carrying this fairly heavy gun. And right. It's just fun. So it's fun. good times. Um, I feel like we could just talk about eyeballs again for sure. another. Or fishing not, or. <laughs> I, well, fishing is on my list. Oh, you it also, is. Yeah. Because, again, I stalked your Facebook yeah. page. Uh, you went to Florida or you go there I, often? I did. Yeah. Okay. So my girlfriend, who's also an ophthalmologist. Uh, she lives in Florida, mm-hmm. so I go there once a year and fish. Uh, and I fishing is one of my huge passions. It has become my huge passion since bird hunting had to go to the side. <laughs> so I was like, well, if I can't bird hunt, then I'm going to fish. And okay. so I, anytime I can get out in a boat and fish, I'm a happy girl. Like deep sea fishing or anything? So anything. So I, you know, Southern Oregon, I came home, fished with my dad almost every week, right? Yeah. We'd go out steelhead fishing or salmon fishing or lake fishing for trout, things like that. Uh, so that has morphed into more and bigger, and I want to be salmon fishing two weeks out of the year, and I want to mm-hmm. be kokanee fishing on the weekends that I can. And so, and then, of course, I love going to Florida. It's a totally different – every fish is so different in how totally you different. target it and things like that. So Awesome. Yeah. All yeah. right. Yep. Dr. Bliss, you are super fun. We're going to move on to the final three. Uh, best advice you've ever been given. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Nice. Who gave you that advice? Probably about 20 people in the last three years. <laughs> so, Good. yeah. So, I, I mean, I think I, I have, my life has not been given to me, right? I've worked very, very hard mm-hmm. to get to where I'm at and against a lot of barriers that that have been tough, right? And I think that when it comes down to it, when you start to feel like, man, this I can't get through this day. This is a challenge I didn't expect to have. Mm-hmm. You're right, because you chose this. Mm-hmm. And so 
be passionate, continue to be passionate, don't lose sight of the goal. It's not everybody, there'd be bliss animal I cares everywhere if it was easy. True. Yeah. And you're a girl boss at the end of the day. And yeah. That's, that's not easy. No, no. Mm-hmm. And I, and employees have been the toughest thing for me to learn. It's, it's tough. Mm-hmm. It's tough. Yeah. I was employee. I know what it feels like. And I, I am so thankful for the team that I have now. And the, t- and the people have come in and out of my practice. I've been very thankful. They've always taught me something. I've walked away from every employee relationship going, okay, that taught me something. Yeah, for <laughs> you know? sure. Yeah. I always like to think of it too, when you're dealing with something that's super tough, you look back on it and you're like, how did I get through that? And you just one step at a time, you put right. one step in front of the other, Right. you get up and you just do it. Yep. And you're like, oh, I just don't want to tackle this today. And at the end of the day, you're like, oh, I tackled that. Mm-hmm. And last week I tackled the last thing. And next week I'm going to tackle a new thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think for that, for those who it's just when every single day is tough, you just go. The yeah. best, my husband always says, you know, there's only one way to eat an elephant. And it's one bite at a time. <laughs> yeah. It's so big and it's so yeah. Yeah. Know, large in front of you. Sure. And you just take those baby steps. Um, if you ever left this place, Southern Oregon, um, what would you miss the most? What would bring you back here? probably my family, mm-hmm. right? So I really, I'm really close with my family, my dad, my mom, everybody there. I, I think family is really important, but you didn't get to choose your family, right? <laughs> and so I think that Southern Oregon offers this incredible outdoor experience with fishing and the coast and the mountains. I mean, it really is. But more than anything, I think that when you grow up somewhere and then you come back, you value things you didn't value when you were younger, right? So although I've now experienced a little bit more diverse culture and I've definitely brought back snow, I'm sorry. <laughs> Nailed it. <It's> your fault. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, this area is unique and, and I love it. And, and it's growing and it's different. You know, you think about the way the United States was uh, inhabited. We're a little bit behind the times when you compare us East Coast to West Coast, mm-hmm. right? And so I have an appreciation for we're going to get we're going to change. We're going to get better. There's going to be different things. But I, I have, think so. Too. Come back for salmon fishing. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. That fishing. Um, if you were ever given a final meal and a final drink, what would that look like? So I, I think that your last meal or your last drink, you know, people ask that. And I, there's no reason to have it, right? You just give it to somebody that it's maybe their first meal or a meal that they weren't going to have that day or a drink that they weren't going to have that day. So I think that's really, when it comes to your last day, what's the point in eating or drinking, right? That's really sweet. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that before because oh. it's all about me. Right. It's my last day. It's what I want to put in my right. body. And I, it's interesting because since you told me that was a question you were going to ask, mm-hmm. I've asked everyone. I'm like, what? You know, because I want a good answer. You know, I want like this kind of wine from this winery or I don't know if you know, Big Franks. I eat them every morning. They're little vegetarian hot dogs. They're basically dog food. I love them. Maybe I want to eat that. And then the more I, I asked everybody, and I think that's what we all do. We go, well, what is it about me? Like what, what is my last day I should get? You know, mm-hmm. well, who cares? It's your last day. So you would Hopefully give- your life has already contributed so much. Your last day doesn't matter. Your last day you give to somebody else. Wow. That's very profound. That was that was a nice answer, mm-hmm. Doctor Bliss. Well, thanks. The only one I've ever. I don't, you're episode forty-five. You're the only person who's ever said that. So. Well, maybe more people will maybe think about so. it. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah. Because it's really about giving to other people, right? It really is, and you yeah. do that a lot, actually. I try as much as humanly possible. I try and give as much to the community and as much to, especially the wildlife and things that are educational. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I run a business, and there's no doubt at the end of the day, I got to pay my bills. But when I can help. I like to. Because you do. It feels good, and my it's good camaraderie and things for my staff to see. Yeah. You do a lot of surgeries for free. I do. <laughs> I mean, I do. you know, that's not what, again, at the end of the day. It's not free. It's, yes. It's not free. But, but it's. When it, when it matters, you, you don't charge. Right. Mm. Yeah. You're pretty awesome. Oh. Dr. Bliss. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me. This was super fun. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes and you like it, please subscribe, rate, and review. It helps other people find us. We're also on Google Play and Stitcher. Also, we're on Alexa, so you can sign up to uh, just ask Alexa, hey, open up off script. You can check out the video portion of this podcast on ktvl.com. Just click on features and then off script. One more time, Dr. Cassandra Bliss, thank you so much. Thank you. And if your pet has an eye problem, go see her. Yes. (laughs) 